1: I know that a lot of people have reevaluated their relationship with alcohol after the past year. And I think based on messages that I get from you guys, everyone is just looking for a healthier alternative to alcohol. So people always ask me what I drink in social situations other than sparkling water, and I'll have a mocktail here and there, but I really love Kin Euphorics. So first of all, Kin Euphorics is female-founded, which we love. Jen Batchelor is on a mission to reimagine the social ritual of drinking without the negative effects on people's health and well-being. So these drinks are stacked with adaptogenic herbs and mushrooms that help curb stress both in the moment and over time and nootropics that support cognitive function. So last week... I did a podcast swap with almost 30 and whenever I do back-to-back interviews, it's really exhausting for me and my nervous system usually kicks into overdrive. And so when I was doing this podcast, they had Kin Euphorics Kin Spritz, which is a sparkling kind of Aperol-like brain boost without the crash or hangover. And I truly felt energized but calm throughout the entire thing. I also love the Dream Light, which is a great nightcap. It can help with stress and sleep, minus the hangover. And then they also have the High Road, which is really good with club soda and lime. And it's great for like a social hour. So we've worked out a special deal for you guys, the Blonde Files listeners. You will receive 15% off plus free shipping on your order. All you have to do is go to kinuforix.com slash Blonde Files or use the code Blonde Files at checkout to claim this deal. So that's K-I-N-E-U-P-H-O-R-I-C-S.com slash Blonde Files, B-L-O-N-D-E-F-I-L-E-S for 15% off plus free shipping. Hey, welcome to the Blonde Files podcast. I'm your host, Arielle Laurie, and I'm here to talk all things wellness. From how to achieve optimal health and well-being to the best beauty tips and everything in between, no topic is off limits. I know there is so much information out there, so I'm here to help you navigate it all and live your best life. Thanks for listening. Let's get into it. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show I am really excited for you to hear today's episode with the co-founder of Intuitive Eating. Yes, it originated with her, Evelyn Triboli. This is a super powerful conversation that is just so full of wisdom and takeaways and you should definitely get out your notebook or open up the notes app in your phone. There are just so many aha moments in this episode and I kept having light bulbs and I think you will too and you'll definitely want to remember what she said. So Evelyn is an award-winning registered dietitian with a nutrition counseling practice in Newport Beach, California. She has written nine books, including the bestsellers Healthy Homestyle Cooking and Intuitive Eating. And her newest book is The Intuitive Eating Workbook, 10 Principles for Nourishing a Healthy Relationship with Food. Evelyn was the nutrition expert for Good Morning America and was a national spokesperson for the American Dietetic Association for 6 years and she was also contributing editor for Shape magazine where her monthly column appeared for 11 years. And so in this episode we dive deep into diet culture and how we are disrupting trust with ourselves every time we try to fake out hunger. We get into intuitive eating, what it is, how to start, how to deal with cravings intuitively. We talk about breaking away from food fear and transitioning away from tracking and counting calories or macros. We also get into the danger of social media and eating disorders and so much more. So enjoy the episode. Okay. So welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm thrilled to be here. This is... Such a big topic. And I want to know how you feel about this because you kind of designed intuitive eating like 25 years ago. And now I feel like it's getting co-opted everywhere and it's (sighs) very trendy, but my audience in particular really struggles with this. Mm. And I've been very vocal about my own journey with it. I've gone from eating disorders to disordered eating to now, you know, this place of food freedom and and what I believe is pretty aligned with um, intuitive eating. But everybody wants to know how, and it's very difficult for me to articulate. You know, there are so many different components. Oh, there are. And, um, you know, I had people sending questions for today's episode, and there were just so, so many. So really excited to have you here. Maybe to start, you can just tell everyone a little bit about yourself.
0: Yeah, well, I'm a registered dietitian. I, a co-creator of, of intuitive eating, like you said, over 25 years ago. And it really loved telling a little bit about our origin story. And that is, you know, Elise and I, Elise is the co-founder. We were both trained in diet culture. I have a master of science in nutrition, you know, and we were using the, those traditional techniques of food planning and all that kind of stuff and seeing it wasn't working and people were feeling miserable and blaming themselves. We like, you know, there's gotta be a different way. So we really dug into the research. Um, We considered our experiences and some other things going on and came up with this model and that has so far stood the test of time. We can say it was research inspired, but now there's over 140 studies on our work really showing benefit and it blows me away. So yes, on the one hand, it's getting in popularity for sure in the culture, in social media, but what's happening, it's been continually being validated and growing in the research world. So there's really something to it, you know? And so when I see it co-opted, it's infuriating in part because we designed this model to help people cultivate a healthy relationship with food mind and body and usually when it's co-opted it's it's something with diet culture in terms of, in terms of changing body size and the fact that it causes harm that's what really gets me you know so i always say if someone's offering intuitive eating with any kind of weight loss or promise like that run away they don't know what they're talking about they're using our model in a way we did not intend so right.
1: yeah so just right off the bat what is intuitive eating according to your model
0: You know what? I I define it in so many different ways, depending who I'm talking with. So so one way I like to uh, describe it, it's a self-care eating framework where you're the boss of you. Only you can be the expert of your thoughts, feelings, experiences. Only you know what satisfies. And there's something very empowering about that. Because when you think when you've been stuck in diet culture or disordered eating or whatever it is, you've given all your power away. You've given your agency away to the diet plan, to the guru, to the influencer, everyone except yourself. And I think part of the reason intuitive eating can feel so daunting. I have people who like want it. (laughs) They hear someone like you describe how you're feeling and yet they're, they're, they're terrified. Mm -hmm. And I'll ask them, you know, how often in your life growing up till now, have you been taught to really connect and listen to your body? And usually the answer is not at all. And I said, well, can you see then you're starting from, from such a place of, 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 of not having that valued experience, of course, you're going to feel wobbly, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it's really, really normal. It's still really normal to still have desire to change your body, even though that's not the purpose of intuitive eating, but it doesn't mean you can't be an intuitive eater. So there's no pass or fail. There's no, even the 10 principles or guidelines are not these rigid rules that you have to, you know, precisely abide by.
1: hmm I feel like it's so challenging now because with social media and influencers, it's so easy to look at somebody else and of course you're looking at their highlight reel and you don't know what's really going on behind the scenes. You don't. And this is what I fell into when I started my Instagram account 5 years ago and I was going through all kinds of different things and and I would kind of latch on to what other people were doing. And and so it's really difficult and and I was so detached from how I really felt and we're so mm. distracted now and we'll get into all of this but you know, whenever I talk about my own journey, meditation was such a big component of it. Because ah. It was like coming home to myself and coming home to my body and, and really getting to know myself. And I know that when I say that, people's eyes glaze over <laughs> if they hear like meditation. So if somebody were to ask you, like, how do I start? How do I become more aware and, and adopt this approach? What would you say to them?
0: You know, and this is where I'm always looking at connecting and what's important to the individual. So if I know someone's glazing over with the idea of meditation, I'm not going to go in that direction with that languaging. Mm -hmm. So I tell you where I tend to start, I start in the middle, (laughs) the fifth (laughs) principle of intuitive eating. And that is, what, what would it be like to aim for satisfaction in your eating? And people get really curious about that. And in terms of what, what sounds good and how do you want to feel when you finish? I can't tell you what sounds good. I can't tell you what feels satisfying. I can, I can point you in the direction. So a lot of the work that I do, I, I, I sometimes call myself the tour guide. I can take you on some rides. I can, I can point some things out. But ultimately, it's your experience. And I find the idea of satisfaction because it's pleasant and pleasurable. It doesn't sound so daunting you know? And so for example, if you start off in a place where you're, where you're really over hungry, does that feel good to eat that way? And do you usually feel satisfied? Ultimately, if you under eat, that's not satisfying. Ultimately, if you eat in a way that you're uncomfortably full, that's not satisfying. And so it's getting really curious and without judgment. And so then what I might ask somebody is what would you need in order to do, do just that? you know? And so then we start breaking down some of the barriers and the obstacles. So I'll give you an example, I get a lot of pushback on. Ideally, when this is brand new to you, it'd be really helpful to eat without distraction, you know, Mm -hmm. because you're trying to listen to your body and what tastes good, all those kinds of things. But if you're busy surfing, you know, your social media feed or watching TV or whatever you're doing, then you are being pulled away many, many, many times from the present moment of what's happening with with your body. And so what people say to me is, oh my God, I don't know how I can do that. (laughs) What would I do if I'm not doing these other things? And And that's when I say, well, let's put your awareness on taste or let's put your awareness on... What, what does it taste like in your mouth after you swallow? They use this in wine tasting. It's called the after finish, you know, and just getting curious about one aspect. How about even the question, do you even like whatever it is that you're eating, you know? And so only you, again, can have the answer to that question. And one of the things I like to emphasize about this, this is not a journey of perfection. This is a journey of discovering. And so if you can only do this one meal a day, yay, good for you. If the idea that even doing this for one meal is too daunting, okay, what can you do? What sounds reasonable to you? We are in a pandemic. People are stretched to the limits. The capacity is like, eh. So maybe maybe can you pay attention maybe for three bites? The first bite, the middle bite, wherever that is, and the end bite, whenever that is. So looking at these things in terms of what, what am I willing to do and what sounds appealing to me? That, that's the way that I like to start off with this
1: love, love that principle. And that actually helped me so much. Oh, and did it. I tend to, you know, I get distracted while I eat. I really try to do it with no distractions. But even today, I was like sitting outside, enjoying the sun, eating my lunch. And I was thinking, okay, I'm eating for for satisfaction. Um, And it really, really does help. But I had a podcast on actually. And I was like, I wonder if this is cheating. And then I go to, well, I don't want to make rules around this because that's not intuitive either. Right. So I have this tendency and I'm sure other people do too, to, to get rigid with things. And I, you know, I get really passionate about whatever it is that I'm doing. So how can we kind of avoid that with intuitive eating as well?
0: Well, you know, I loved how you recognized it and you reframed it. You know, so sometimes I even look at languaging. It's like even the word cheating. It's like, oh, right. that, that sounds like diet culture. Yeah. When I hear the word cheat, I, I, I automatically like cringe. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> and so what do we have to recognize? Is this is we are human. We're not perfect, and times we don't. Have, and let me let me share with you. I ate my lunch standing up today in the kitchen because I knew we were having this podcast, and I didn't want to be. Uh, I didn't want to be going in a thousand directions. And I chose. so you don't have to do this perfectly. I just find mm. in the beginning when you're new to this, it's really helpful. But I don't want to have people think you have to light a candle and, and meditate, you know, mm. in, in order to do this. And so what I would be looking at, what has it given me the most pleasure and connection to while I'm eating? You know, it's possible that you could be enjoying a podcast and the sunshine and eating outside and it's not pulling you away. But if it turns out you discover, oh my God, this is such an interesting topic. I totally didn't even pay attention and that might be okay too. So it's really, really up to you. So it's a gentle journey of of compassion and getting curious, you know.
1: Since we're talking about mindful eating, I want to talk about mindful snacking. We live in a world full of distractions, and so often we find ourselves eating mindlessly, but Lesser Evil is on a mission to change that. You guys are probably already familiar with them. They make healthier, less processed, earth-friendly snacking accessible to everyone. They partner with organic farms and thoroughly vetted vendors across the world to get the cleanest, highest quality ingredients possible everything is minimally processed, resulting in super clean, super tasty snacks. So you may not be able to see through the packaging, but you can see through their process. Also, everything is USDA organic, non-GMO, project verified, certified, grain-free, and low in sugar. And with plenty of vegan, paleo, and keto-friendly options, lesser evil snacks are perfect for anyone. So I Love their popcorn. I've talked about this before, and also their Paleo Puffs. They are so good. They are just amazingly delicious, but because they use such high quality ingredients, They're really satisfying too, which I really look for in a snack. They also have Power Curls, which have six grams of protein per serving, which is great. And they have veggie sticks. They have mini cookies, basically everything you could possibly want. You can find Lesser Evil in regional grocery stores nationwide and nationally at Whole Foods Market. But for the full array of their products, including pantry items and merch, visit their online shop at www www.lesserevil.com that's www.lesserevil.com and they have an exclusive deal for the listeners they will take 25% off your first one-time order if you go to lesserevil.com and use the code blonde that's b-l-o-n-d-e for 25% off your first order One of the questions that I get most frequently when I bring up this subject is, um, well, I guess it's twofold. I mean, there's a lot of fear around Trusting our bodies, right, and going yeah. from whether it's counting calories or counting macros. Yeah. Um, I was part of the macro group, and I mean those numbers followed me around for so long. It was so challenging. Um, so a lot of people want to know, like, how can they begin to trust themselves? They're afraid of what's going to happen if they start listening to their bodies. And then the other part of that is like they say, you know, intuitively, I want to eat the whole sleeve of Oreos. <laughs> so <laughs> how do they how do they work? with that.
0: You know, that one always cracks me up when I hear something framed intuitively. It's um, yeah. <laughs> because it's technically not, but it's, it's a fear. Let's just call it what is it is. It's a fear. So let's take these one by one. Okay. So, you know, I'll never forget reading a joke years ago, something like, you know, if we were meant to be counting and tracking all these things, God would have put calculators on our tongue. <laughs> I love never that. never forgot that image, you know, and you think about some of these countries in which they have really great longevity and great health. You don't see their grandmas and grandpas, you know, counting macros, you Weighing know, so, their
1: chicken breast. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So what I want to say, number one, it is not necessary. You know, our body has all this built-in uh, ability to do this. However, the fear is understandable because we live in a fear-mongering culture. Diet culture is fear-mongering, and every time that you've ever gone on a diet, no matter what the great intentions were, it's a profound trust disruptor. Right. Every time you try and fake out hunger and fake out hunger, it's a profound trust disruptor. So it's understandable you'd feel wobbly. It's one of the biggest questions I get. I get asked, and the way I look at it, you know, if we flip it and say maybe your body doesn't trust you, <laughs> that if you Want consistent feedback from your body, we need to be kind to it consistently. So I'll tell you the biggest example I get from this you know, somebody, you know, counting macros, counting calories, and basically they're under eating. And then something happens, an event comes along, a stress comes along, emotion comes along, and all of a sudden they can't stand it and they're into whatever food was off limits. And they watch themselves with this high urgency intensity. It's like, oh my God, I can't stop eating, you know? And that's a direct consequence of deprivation and under eating, that's the body trying to survive. The little cells are going, oh my God, we finally get to eat the cookies, go now, go, go, before she changes her mind. And so that creates this, this distrust. And when we can recognize this is survival, it's no different than if you hold your breath for a long time. And we were talking before we even started. I live near the ocean. I play in the ocean. I surf. I'm a newbie surfer and I love it. And when a big set comes, you go under and you hold your breath sometimes for a long period of time. And when you come up, you go gigantic inhale. And no one calls that loss of control breathing. No one says, oh my God, you're addicted to air. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's, it's a known compensatory effect for you know, air insufficiency. And so this is what happens and creates this push-pull you know? So I say the fear is understandable. So let's go slowly. What do you need in order to feel safe to make the first step? It's normal when you've been counting calories, it becomes a habit of mind. An example I like to give is, you know, I usually like will hike or walk or something in the morning. And I say, good morning to people behind my mask. (laughs) But every once in a while, if I'm sleeping in, it's in the afternoon, it's afternoon, I'm saying, good morning, good morning. And I'm feeling silly, but I don't have any guilt or shame. So counting macros and counting calories is kind of like that. What happens in the beginning, as you're getting into this, that's been the way you've ruled your eating. But as you start to pay attention to your body, that becomes the dominant focal point. And that macro, I call it calorie awareness or macro awareness kind of fades into the background because it has less meaning to you. So over time, I want you to know it will fade. And so this fear that you'll never stop eating, I find is more a reflection of the deprivation. If you've had a lot of time in dieting, or you don't even relate to the term dieting because you follow different food patterns, plants, you know, diet culture has been so sneaky. It comes by all these different names. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's understandable that the, that the fear would be there. And what you'll see, well, actually, what's your story? Have you found that the more you've, lo- that you've had ease with eating, the less of this fear is there?
1: absolutely yeah i mean in the very beginning this is maybe two or three years ago at this point but when i stopped counting macros i don't know what i thought would happen if i ate over whatever macros i had allotted for that day but yeah there was really intense fear but nothing bad happened you know so isn't that amazing I, yeah yeah i i mean i literally it's like you get this this feeling like you're gonna Blow up and explode or something if you eat over your your macros. Um, at least that was my experience. But you know, at the same time, when I stopped counting macros, is when I also started doing meditation. Mm. And so it kind of happened like in concert with each other. And, you were and ready I couldn't have come at a better time. Yeah, because you know, I I do TM. I talk about it all the time. I'm kind of an evangelist because it was so profoundly impactful yeah. in my life. Yeah. And just having those two times a day where I come back into my body, especially in the afternoon, you know, after I'm Mm -hmm. doing the emails and this and that, and we're getting pulled in so many different directions and I can sit there and, um, and, and really feel my body again. Is that profound? Yeah. And someone at the time said to me, and this may have originated with you, I don't know, but he said, maybe what you think your body should look like and what your body thinks it wants to look like are two different things.
0: Well, that happens a lot in our culture. Yeah. Yeah. And I just had
1: this like aha moment where I was like, oh yeah, I've been like forcing myself into this box, you know, and it was so, I mean, I just got to the point where I was so burnt out. So,
0: and it's stressful and it pulls you out of life and in the present totally. moment. Yeah. So here's the other thing I want to point out, cause you mentioned this and this is a really good point. So what happens is, is when you're used to counting macros and then you perceive that you did something wrong, there's a tendency to react and micromanage. Oh, well, I'm going to have less dinner. Oh, I'm not going to have that snack. And what you rob yourself of is the experience to see what your body naturally would have done. And so my, my suggestion would be, well, let's, okay. So let's, let's just go ahead and say you ate to the point of really feeling uncomfortable at comfortably full at lunch. Let's see what happens in the afternoon. Let's see if you get that normal midday, you know, hunger, or let's see what happens at dinner. You know, what your body wants mm-hmm. to do. And when you start saying, oh my God, my body's working. We start to heal. You know, every time you honor hunger with each bite of food, you're cultivating trust. There's, there's healing and repair. That's what I want to people to know that this is possible no matter how long you've been steeped in whatever diet culture macro counting app that you've been involved in, you know, Mm -hmm. and there's no shame in that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the other component of it. Like, even before I started counting macros, I was binge eating because I was Mm. restricting breakfast, lunch, and dinner, restricting food groups. And by 10 o'clock, you know, I was eating two pints of Halo Top with microwaved Quest bars on top because it was diet food. And, you know, Mm. and then I felt so terrible about myself. So the next day, I would try to overcompensate with exercise and more restricting. And then I'm more hungry at night. And, you know, it's this vicious cycle. And I know that so many people who are probably listening can relate. because I get the questions all the time. And I'm like, I am not an expert on this. I just, you know, luckily um, was kind of forced into submission because I hit a rock bottom with it. And, and, you know, like I I got to the point where I just couldn't function. And I look back now, I've always been in a thin, petite body. So that's the only experience that I have. But I look back on those pictures and, you know, I was so thin and that wasn't my experience at the time. I was just trying to... Yeah. You know, I was moving the goalpost and it was never enough. So...
0: Well, and there's a couple of things in your story that are so important, and, and a lot of people don't know, loss of control eating, that's actually a phrase they use in the research world, is a common thing that we see with dieting. And unfortunately, most studies don't measure for it, but the ones that do, we see it all the time. It's been demonstrating kids, adults, teenagers, you name it, it's been looked for, it's been studied. So, so for those out there listening to this, and that's been your experience, I want you to know that it's a normal Compensatory uh, effect; your body's trying to correct the situation, but it just doesn't feel good. So know that it's full. Oh, and and part of the answer is coming back to your body and nourishing yourself, which sometimes sounds very also. Find that there's a healing, and just being able to acknowledge, oh, this is normal. I'm not the only one that's had this happen, or this. I've had patients also describe that they're one bite away from a baby, actually had loss of control eating. They feel it's like this this spring wound so. Just uh, attack the food, and that's your mind trying to help you. That's your body trying to help you. You know, mm-hmm.
1: I know that a lot of women who follow me are also dealing with things like gut issues, and you know, right now, especially in LA, and I don't know how it is in Orange County, but everything uh, is. Gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, soy-free, grain-free. And, you know, I've been on that end of the spectrum too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I understand how hard it can be when you are experiencing things like, you know, digestive upset and stuff like that. But how can we approach intuitive eating if we are dealing with these kinds of issues?
0: It's a really good question. And so here's the 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 thing to know about this. There's a lot of misinformation on dealing with these issues in which food has been used as, as the cure when it's not. I happen to have a specialty in, well, I'll say gluten, but it's actually celiac disease because my son, when he was a toddler, he's an adult now, was diagnosed with it. So I got deep into the weeds and the research and then also working with patients with skin and seeing all the research. And so... A lot of it, especially in LA, has just been really trendy. So here's the challenge and here's the problem. I want to acknowledge that when people are suffering, they want to, they're going to their doctors and they're not giving them something that's a satisfying solution. They're still in pain or they're bloating and feeling miserable. But here's what I want everyone to know, that the more strict food, that in of itself can create Functional issues in which you have profound bloating and pain and nausea. I would say if you believe you're having some kind of intolerance, it's really important to really get a medical evaluation and, and really figure out if that's the case. Because if not, you might end up amplifying the problem and, and, and making it worse. You know, mm-hmm. in fact, I'm doing a live on this topic, uh, intuitive eating and food intolerances on, on, on Thursday, because this comes up. So let's let's say okay, so that's one part of the story. Another part of the story, it's you've been Evaluate, and you have some intolerance or an allergy or something. You can listen to your body, and what I find this this becomes a, a different issue. I'm going to use something really basic like lactose intolerance. You know, mm-hmm. if for some reason you were to have milk, and you know your lactose intolerance, it's not going to feel good, but it doesn't cause any damage to your body, and so it becomes an issue of choices and consequences. And it might be, you know, what I feel good when I eat this. I've had the experience of it. I know it to be true for my body, and I'm feeding myself food, you're not going to get into all that loss of control eating and so on. There is a way through this. That's what I want everybody to know.
1: Part of wellness that isn't often talked about is financial wellness. And I remember personally when I was in a lot of credit card debt and trying to rebuild my credit after years of financial destruction before I got sober, the stress of all of that really took its toll on me. You know, if you have multiple credit cards and trying to track multiple balances, due dates, website logins, all of that, it can really start to weigh on you. So Upstart makes things simple with one monthly payment in one place. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple fixed monthly payment. Upstart finds smarter rates with trusted partners because they assess more than just your credit score. So with a five-minute online rate check... You can see your rate upfront for loans from $1,000 to $50,000, and you can get approved same day and receive funds as fast as one business day. So if debt is taking over your life, it's time to get a fresh start with Upstart. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash blonde, B-L-O-N-D-E. Again, that's upstart.com slash blonde, U-P-S-E tartcom com slash B-L-O-N-D-E. And don't forget to use that URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Again, that's upstart.com slash blonde. You guys know I'm all about nourishing my body with the most nutritious, wholesome ingredients I can find. And honestly, with so much going on lately, it can be a struggle to find the time to whip things up from scratch. I know you guys can relate to me on this one. So if you're in the same boat or if you're just wanting to start incorporating more plant rich meals into your life, Sakara makes it so easy. Sakara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what we eat. They have organic, ready to eat meals made with powerful plant based ingredients, and the menu is crafted by chefs weekly, so you'll never get bored. They have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, all made with ingredients designed to boost your energy, improve your digestion, and get your skin glowing. This week's menu had this amazing morning fig bar with like dried figs, strawberries, gluten-free oats. They also had a Thai Buddha bowl. They had this tomato soup with vegan grilled cheese using Monty's cheese, which we love, so, so good. Sakara is great too, because you can design your own program, whether you want it five days a week or just two, if you know you're going to be busy for a few days and you can try it one time or you can subscribe. Along with delicious plant-rich meals, Sakara also offers daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas to support your nutrition. Experience the transformative power of plants with their best-selling metabolism super powder made with organic raw cacao. It works to boost energy, eliminate bloating, minimize sugar cravings, and reduce fatigue. And right now, Saqqara is offering you guys, our listeners, 20% off their first order. If you go to Saqqara.com slash Blonde and enter the code BlondeFiles20 at checkout, that's S-A-K-A-R-A.com slash B-L-O-N-D-E-F-I-L-E-S to get twenty percent off your first order. Again, sakara.com slash blondefiles and enter code blonde files20. I just did a podcast this morning with um, a woman in the UK who's a gut health doctor researcher, Dr. Megan Rossi. I don't know if you're familiar with her, but Mm. we were talking about this idea of restriction as a way to treat gut issues. And she said kind of something similar to what you just said, which is like, we want food to be the cause and we want it to be the cure. And that's (laughs) often the only part that we look at, you know, and especially with things like IBS. She was talking about the gut brain connection and how important that is and how important our behavior around this is and how the thoughts that we have around what we're going to eat can impact us more than the actual food can impact us.
0: And then if factor in stress, stress has its own Mm. amplifying impact as well. Yeah, I completely agree. Mm. Yeah.
1: What is the intuitive approach to cravings? This is another question that I get all the time. You know, people ask, Ah. should I just give in to whatever I'm craving or should I... I don't know. I don't know the alternative.
0: It's actually a really good question. I get lots of themes around this. And so what I would suggest is to get curious about it. You know, if it's truly a food craving, having the food usually takes care of it. If, however, it's something deep, or deeper, not, it, has to, it doesn't have to be that deep. But let's say you have a need that's not getting met, you know, mm-hmm. you need some stimulation or you're, because you're really bored or you're lonely and it's been chronic. Then we need to start asking, huh, what am I feeling right now? And what might I need right now that deals actually with this feeling if food wasn't available? And to know food can certainly be an option. I always put that in, in part of the equation and, and look at that. This I find is where the deeper work uh, needs to go, That which I find with a lot of people I work with because they have shame or they're judging the eating as being wrong and to get into this all or none. Oh, well, there I go. I'm, I'm, I'm blowing my, my plan. And they tend to eat in a way in which they are... Uh, not feeling good when they when they finish so whatever the coping mechanism is, I would hope it would be whatever it is that you choose to do to self-soothe that you don't feel worse in the long run. So looking at all these things so it's not it's not a simple answer but the process is what am I feeling right now and what do I need right now to, to deal with that And if you choose the food, Ooh, this is easy and, and, and challenging at the same time. What I would suggest if it's really, oh my God, you know, those chocolate brownies are calling your name and you're going to have them. Great, fantastic. How can you eat them in a way that you're going to truly connect and enjoy them? You know, and so if you're eating them and then being in an argument with your roommate or, or your partner, I, w- I would suggest that's not the, you're not going to get the full, the full satisfaction and experience of that. So looking at the way in which you can enjoy and savor every mm-hmm. bite of it.
1: Another question that a lot of people have is can we intuitively eat and care what we look like? How do those, oh, a, How do those work together?
0: You know, that's that's a really big question because uh, you know we live in a culture that is so fat phobic, you know? Mm-hmm. And when we start looking at the roots of diet culture and fat phobia, there was a brilliant book by the academic Sabrina Strings called uh, Fearing the Black Body The Racial Roots of fat phobia or the racial origins rather of fat phobia. And so this has been our culture for a long time and that people get social currency based on appearance, especially women. There's a lot of objectification. And so what I'd be looking at is what is the cost to you in in doing this? You know, if you're saying, oh, you know, I want to put my makeup on do all these kinds of things, it's not a big deal. But if you're starting to try and change, like you were saying, the genetic destiny of your body, that's going to be putting you in harm's way over and over and over again. And so it's looking at what is happening. Is it pulling you out of your life? Is it causing you anxiety? And where this gets really difficult is when you're, when someone is in a marginalized body, so let's say they're in a, in a fat body and they're trans or they're black, culture treats that person differently. They're met with more hostility. So it's understandable they'd want to be engaging in practices where they feel safer. So I would, what I like to do with that question is, is looking at what it is that you value so that we're connecting with our humanity. And for those that are just starting to have families or thinking about families, what values do you want to raise your kids with. Do you want them having that as their number 1 value for example? And and one of the things that seems to strike a note with a lot of people is this idea that you know, it might be daunting to change the culture, but you know what? You can end the legacy of diet culture in your family at your own kitchen table. And what would that look like? You know, that all bodies are worthy of dignity and respect. That we don't uh, gossip about bodies, and we don't uh, denigrate one food and re- reify one food over another things things like that. You know, so it's it's, it's there's a lot of nuances in in that.
1: Mm-hmm. How do you think people? best manage kind of living in this climate and being on social media and being exposed to, you know, influencers and models and what they're eating and just this diet culture that's like so accessible now, you know, before, like when I was, I mean, I'm still young, but when I was young, At a really impressionable age, we had like magazines and, you know, still diet culture was there. And I remember trying the cabbage soup diet when I was like 12 years old because I heard that, you know, you could lose weight doing that. That was my first diet culture memory. But now it just seems like we're so inundated with it. Um, Do you
0: have any advice I do. So you know, you were meant. You started off with with social media. So my mm-hmm. my suggestions there would be is to start taking a look at your feed, yeah. and curating it, and start first bringing in diversity, diverse bodies, doing diverse things. I just started following curvy girl surfing. Oh my god. <laughs> All Uh different kinds of bodies to see that you can be engaged and and living meaningful lives and not just getting the one viewpoint that you see in in traditional media. So diversifying body types, I'd be looking at anything that's promoting diet culture before and after pictures, Mm -hmm. anything that's making you feel bad about yourself from an appearance-based thing, I'd, I'd really look at muting it. And where this gets really hard is sometimes you're following influencers that maybe are steeped in diet culture, but there's something about their personality or their humanity that is appealing. And so therefore that makes it a little bit difficult, but just notice how it's making you feel. The other thing I think is so difficult are all the filters that people are using. And so what we're seeing is not even real. I see that more on on, on TikTok. Someone had just told me that there's over 200 million hashtags on TikTok on intuitive eating. I got to check this out. And there's a lot of uh, eating disorder stuff. I think that's what we need to also name is that the more you stay focused on appearance, the more you stay focused in in this diet culture Increasing the risk of eating disorders, and th- those can be deadly. You're also increasing the risk of, of weight cycling, increases uh, weight stigma. We've seen, by the way, eating just have doubled in the last time period in which they've been looking like. So this is not something without harm. And the thing that really gets me too, when you start looking at the body of research, that anyone who tries to do intentional loss, the, the vast majority of people will regain the weight. Most people will gain back more weight than what they lost, and one of the Biggest predictors of weight gain is intentional weight loss through dieting. You know, is and that isn't that kind of shocking. It's it's creating Mm -hmm. the opposite of what you have. And I think with social media, with all the visuals, it makes it seem, oh, this will be me. I'll be the exception, you know. And Mm -hmm. so that's why we have to get a little. And that's why I'm thrilled that you're you're doing this. We have to expose this for what it is. It's a sham,
1: you know. I used to be a before and after picture posting influencer. Yeah, um, back when I was doing macros, and you know, I really thought because I had gone from binge eating um, and this kind of crazy cycle to macros, I initially thought that macros was equal to food freedom because I went, wait a uh. second, I can eat all this food and you know, still maintain my weight or whatever. And obviously, you know, I, I kind of woke up from that. But yeah, it's tough. I know on TikTok, there's like so many what I eat in a days and I, I do a lot of recipes. So I'll share mm. what I eat in a day kind of as an example of like how much you can actually eat because so many of those videos on TikTok that I've seen are like... Um, not to judge anybody but you know just like so little food but then i also feel like well maybe i'm contributing to it i don't know it's it's really tough to
0: find that you know it is in terms line. of how am i helping and how might i be harming you know yeah. and there' have been a fair amount of influencers who go get really into the food and posting on that and then three years later oops i had an eating disorder you know right. the, the passion was actually a a symptom of of the eating disorder you know yes. and it, what's really interesting that's what we see too people that really get into all this stuff get really self-absorbed not on purpose mm-hmm. that's part of what happens to the brain it gets you get food on the brain all the time because your mm-hmm. body is trying to like th- throw pictures at you like maybe you'll eat this how about this and so yeah. you're constantly thinking and talking about it not realizing that the people around you aren't necessarily interested in that and then you right. disconnect from your relationships in the here and now and that's one of the the biggest things i hear it's i don't see it posted so much on social media but it's like wow i I was checked out of my own life. I wasn't present with my partner. Or I was constantly hangry and edgy and yelling at my kids as much as I don't like to acknowledge that, you know. And so it's mm-hmm. it's looking at some of those painful realities, not not with shame, but through this lens of compassion that you were doing the best that you could, usually with really good intentions. I've had a lot of people I talk with that I just wanted to be healthy, and then mm-hmm. pff, you get down the rabbit hole, and yeah. and now you're just the opposite of that, you know?
1: Yeah, and it's yeah. so easy nowadays. And then yes, you know, on the other side. Of those, what I eat in a day's that I just thought of, somebody sent me a message saying that she feels so bad about herself because she sees people with perfect bodies posting like days where they're probably, they're saying they're eating 2,500 calories or 3,000 calories. And so she's saying, well, why can't I eat that and look like that? And so I think either end of the spectrum, you're right. You have to be really careful about the message that you're sending.
0: Yeah. And you know what? This is going to sound really crude, but I find it impacts my my clients. I'm just going to say it here if I can. (laughs) In in a way, it's similar to going to the bathroom with somebody. They're in the stall next to you and you're listening to how much they're peeing and you're trying to match the amount. Oh my God, I didn't pee as much as they did. Or did I pee too little? Did I pee too much? And I know it's funny when we talk about it because we don't have a frame of reference. We're not judging that. You know, mm-hmm. and, and but yet that's what we're doing with our food. But it's a similar, similar idea that we have different needs and our bodies genetically are, are meant. To, we have d- diversity in body size and shape is really a thing. They've they've uncovered all of these old ancient statues of bodies of all these different types of forms. And I think that's the part we need to come to terms with. You know, and I think what makes it difficult is diet culture has also hijacked healthcare. You know, I have it from my patients. My doctor said, and it's like okay, now I got to explain. <laughs> (laughs) what's going on in, in medicine. So I think we have to acknowledge that the pressure and the perception is real, but Mm -hmm. look at what it's doing to your quality of life. You're constantly comparing, you know, what's that, that famous saying, you know, comparison is the, is the, the thief of joy, you Mm -hmm. know, it's the fastest track to unhappiness. And instead getting connected, what, what am I feeling? What do I want? What do I Need because also when you're not nourishing yourself with enough food, you don't have the energy to enjoy life so much. And sometimes, well, you know, what? I'm going to give you this example. Since you're in California, you'll get this. So you know, we drive in our, our cars a lot, and sometimes I know I don't get to the car wash often enough or wash my car enough, and I'll go to the car wash and I come out like, oh my god. How was I seeing before, you know? <laughs> yeah. and so sometimes it's not until you're out of diet culture do you realize, oh my God, how was I living that way, you know? Yeah. But there's also so much, what happens in our culture, it's complimented. Eating disorders behaviors are complimented. When yeah. you compliment someone's body, you have no idea what they're going through. I've had patients with raging eating disorders who've been complimented, you know, by, by strangers and other people. And here they just had a really... Horrific day, engaged in eating disorder behavior, or maybe someone just miscarried and that's why their body size is different. Maybe they've got cancer and don't feel like talking about it. And then you, we just end up creating this body hierarchy. So what if instead that we look at complimenting something about your humanity? like, oh my god, I'm so I love your energy. Or every time I'm I'm with you, I feel so seen by you. Or geez, mm-hmm. you look so happy today. You know what's going on? And and so getting it. So that these are small things we can do, and it's surprising how it takes a little bit of effort in the beginning when we're used to complimenting bodies, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm curious what your thoughts are on kind of this body positivity movement on Instagram. I've talked to other experts and, you know, and, and they kind of all agree that you're still focusing on the body, yeah. whether it's smaller or, or bigger, like you're, there's still the focus on what the body looks like.
0: Right. And so there's still an objectification of it. And so there's many, many different levels of it. And when you start looking at the origins of body positivity, it was about liberation, liberating Mm -hmm. from oppression, you know, the the black body specifically. And Mm -hmm. so it's been co-opted in a way that it wasn't intended and also to liberate fat bodies as well. And so one of the things I like looking at, so that's why we need to look at how can we get, you know, dismantle these systems of oppression, but also just looking at, that we're more than a body, you know, let's mm-hmm. connect with our humanity. What if we had unconditional positive regard because you're a human that we have respect and dignity? There's a, a new book that's out by the Kite sisters. They're twins who have PhDs in, um, oh my gosh, it's a body image related doctorate program. And they on, on uh, Instagram, they, they do beauty redefined and their book is called more than a body. And they, they raise a really many, many, many good points, but also very actionable points that when you just start objectifying yourself, looking at yourself through the lens of a gaze, you're not, you're not a human and you're not, uh, connecting with your, with your qualities and this, this degrades your quality of life. So it becomes a shift, you know, in looking at these other things.
1: Right. Amazing. Well, If you have a couple minutes, I would love to do some kind of rapid fire questions. I love your energy. So I feel like you'd be good for this. I got so many. So let's see if there's anything that we didn't cover. Um, Is there ever a time that intuitive eating is not appropriate?
0: You know, that's a really good question. And so one of the, you know what? We didn't really talk about the details of intuitive eating. So one of the things, another definition of intuitive eating, it's a dynamic interplay of thought, instinct, and emotion. Meaning we also have our wise mind. Sometimes our appetites are offline. You know, when you're stressed out Mm -hmm. or you're sick, we can still do nourishment as self-care. So my answer is we don't do precise honor your hunger in these cases. We do nourishment as self-care. And we need to remember there's 10 principles. So there might just be some that are more in, in the background. Mm-hmm. But I would take it on a case by case basis. You know, if you're if if you're you're in the throes of an eating disorder, we can still do intuitive eating, but you need to be doing it with your with your team and, and right. the right kind of timing and so on. So right. yeah. Um, did you
1: ever struggle with disordered eating? If you're open to sharing,
0: I'm open to sharing. I have a really unusual background, and the answer is no because. <laughs> 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 I've only been on one diet in my life. And the second time I thought I was going to diet, I was really thought about it. I was making my debut on Good Morning America as their mm-hmm. nutritionist. But what's different about my history, and this is because I'm i am 60, I'm, I shouldn't, what was my age? I'm 61. <laughs> so when I was in high school, they didn't have a girls track team. They ran on the boys, so I ran on the boys team and I beat the boys and I lettered. And I was always looking at what can I eat to beat the boys, you know? <laughs> I love it. So I'm happy to say I, I I didn't have an eating disorder or disordered eating. And I'm very, very lucky. I think culture is a different time. And I was so connected to my sport, but it's different today. I've worked with a lot of girls and athletes who have eating disorders because of the fat phobia that's, that's in sports. So I think it's a good question. And I'm happy to share that. I will say this, a sad story is I grew up with a dieting mom. Mm-hmm. And when she was diagnosed with cancer at the age of 64, we were sitting together before she got the official diagnosis and she stood up, assessed her body and she said her biggest regret, all these years of dieting, all I want to do is grow old. And she died, you know, three years Mm -hmm. later. So I grew up with that and I was just very lucky she didn't voice it onto us kids, you know, but that fueled my passion even more so.
1: Wow. Oh, chills. How do I know if I'm hungry versus bored? We kind of touched on this, but do you have a a quick answer for that?
0: Wow, when you said quick, now all of a sudden I stopped. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> or long, whatever you have time for. Okay. You I've got time. So, you know, here's the way that I do this to get curious. It's, it's ambiguous. That That's a tough place to be. So a couple ways you can do it. If you're hungry, it's going to get intense. It's going to, with more time, it's going to amplify. So you could delay if you want to. If you're bored, then you could be looking at, okay, what's a what's a meaningful, engaging activity that would that would, that would do it for me. And that's what's sometimes hard to do. So I, I think it's helpful to find activities that you get, uh, like maybe little games on your phone or sometimes even just social media. When I get bored, I go on to TikTok cause it's so fast. Although sometimes I get, I get sucked in. So yeah. what will happen is if you're doing this out of boredom, but it turns out it's hunger, all of a sudden that hunger is going to be, you're going to have, uh, you're going to have clarity. That's what this, this answer is about. You need clarity. So I'd give it some time.
1: Yeah. hmm How can somebody not overeat or binge when being intuitive?
0: Uh, Ah, that's a big and good question. So part of it is staying connected to your body and it's, it's so interesting they paraphrase when being intuitive, because sometimes I see this happening and it, and it sounds like it was part of your story, is that when you're not getting enough to eat, there's going to be compensatory eating. I wouldn't even call that overeating, but it doesn't feel good at the time. So I'd be looking at making sure you're nourishing your body with enough food and in a timely manner, because you can have enough food, but if it's eight hours ago that you last ate, we normally eat, need to eat every two to six hours as a general guideline. Mm-hmm. So I would stay curious if you find yourself in the position of that eating in a way that doesn't feel good is to ask yourself, Oh, what's going on with me? What was that? What was the kind of the trigger into this? And what might I do differently next time? So mm-hmm. it's getting curious with kindness. That that's a mindset that takes a while to develop. To be honest, a lot of people are very harsh on themselves, which makes it harder to figure out the mm-hmm. way through, you know? Right.
1: Yeah. Well, you are such a resource and I'm sure everybody listening will go follow you and you have so many amazing books and and you've devoted your life to this. Um, Is there anything that you're working on right now? I know you have a book that you wanna talk about. Yeah. Yeah yeah on. so you know what
0: I do I have a book coming out uh, in March and it's intuitive eating for every day 365 daily practices and inspirations and what it is they're little like little 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 things you can do every day you know the intuitive eating book is kind of big and mm-hmm. really unpack the research and the why and the case studies and the workbook is great too but it, it goes deep down in these are just like little inspirations little little mantras or little ways to cultivate trust to kind of give you an idea and then you know what, what your followers can do if they're really curious curious and want to hear more on January 4th of this year, 2021, I did a 10 day series that has videos that'll kind of give them a taste for this because I find sometimes in the beginning people get intrigued, but it's, it's so daunting and this is a way to kind of ease into it and it doesn't cost anything, you know? Mm -hmm. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. And that was very helpful. That's on your Instagram. Yeah. So we'll put a link to that in show notes and we'll put a link to the book as well. Where can everybody get the book if they want it?
0: Actually, it's it's available wherever books are sold. Oh, okay. oh, I should tell you this: if if they pre-order it, they get some bonus goodies, including uh, attending my my book launch and also getting some downloadable audio meditations for for meal time. So also mm. on, on Instagram, that you can look at the link in my bio and order it that way. So amazing! Yeah, thank you. Well, Thank
1: you so much again for coming on. Where can everybody find you on the internet? <laughs>
0: you know what? I think that the, the the fastest and easiest is the Instagram at Evelyn Tribbley. There's the websites, evelyntribbley.com and then the intuitive org. So those are, those are the major ones. So yeah.
1: Amazing. Well, thank you so much again.